All right, everyone. Welcome to Dude, Where's My NAR podcast. Um, we have our fourth guest and super excited to have him on. I've taken a couple lessons with him, mountain biking lessons. He's into all kinds of stuff. Honestly, don't know how he does it all. He's got his hands in all these different things. Excited to talk to him about some of that stuff. Um, Tyler's on, Kyle's on, and our guest is Willem Cooper. So welcome, Willem. Thank you. Thanks for having me. All right. So let's um, let's get right into it. So, Willem, like, when did you start riding and, and like, why, I guess? Uh, it's not as exciting of a story as you'd think. I think I was about three years old. Uh, I have uh, four older sisters and the one closest in age was told by my parents that she couldn't ride down to the end of the street by herself. And I wasn't allowed to go because I was on training wheels. So if I got off training wheels, she could go down to the end of the street. And I learned how to ride about, uh, it took about an hour of her kind of forcing me to do it. A lot of gravel in my palm from crashing. And then before we knew it, we were riding around the neighborhood. Nice. So um, I want to talk about like all Again, I'm not 100% sure of all the things that you're currently into right now. I'll name some and then please add in anything else, right? So I know Cyclecraft Fitness, right? Correct. Which is? Uh, it is a few things. So it's my mountain bike skills coaching business. Um, I also have a small fitness studio where I use my education in personal training, massage therapy, and kinesiology to uh, train primarily athletes but um i work with all people uh older women older guys younger people anybody really that's just looking to get some fitness um and then i do the u.s distribution and marketing for uh dirt lab and in the u.s it's known as dirt lab usa which is uh two just carbon fiber mountain bike frames nice so uh that that's the uh the quick overview of it yes all right. And then CCF Devo, Devo which is Psychocraft Fitness Development. That's your Correct. Enduro team, right? So technically, no, but yes. So right. um, I, I ran a downhill mountain bike race team uh, shoot for probably seven or eight years. And I kind of did everything on my own. And that really burnt me out. And I just decided to race for my own, start working back in a bike shop and just kind of doing the just rider thing. Um, then the coaching business took off and I had some parents reach out to me about wanting to have a more organized program their kids could do instead of after school, normal stick and ball sports. And I said I would do it as long as my entire title was as coach, uh, mostly because I knew if I took on the entire responsibility of team manager, communicating to all the parents, organizing everything, I would not have fun. So I was able to convince my friend Bo Fuller or Enduro Bo and my wife Julie to assist me in running the team. So Bo is technically team manager. I am uh, the team coach. So I run all the practices and my wife does all the back end stuff with, with graphic design, printing our jerseys, updating our website. Um, and then her and I both run the Instagram account. Nice. Does that answer your question? Or <laughs> I, I think I feel like I kind of went off there for a second. No, no, no that's not at all. 
Okay. Perfect. With, with those, with just the little things that you did say, I mean, I had a chance to check out like your LinkedIn stuff and like, it seems like that's only like a little bit of portion of what you've done as an individual or a group as a whole. So that's pretty cool, dude. Uh, thank you. Yeah, it's been really fun. It officially started at the end of 2019 and uh, it was sort of okay. invite only. We had about six kids and then with COVID and everything that happened, um, obviously the 2020 season was delayed a little bit, but we were able to get organized and have some fun with it. And then for uh, this current year, we got a lot more organized. And uh, I guess the goal of the program is to not only teach kids how to ride and race better, but also a bit of responsibility and how to apply for sponsorships or just communicate in a professional setting. So everybody that applies to the program has to apply through our website. We just have like a questionnaire thing. It's fairly easy. And there's a, there's a four-week application period, typically December 1st through January 1st. Uh, and then we review all of those applicants, look at their Instagram, their Roots and Rain race results. Um, and then I have some assistant or helper coaches that are younger and more in their age group or their racing category. I ask, you know, do you know this kid? How is he? Uh, once you get past that process, you get invited to team tryouts. And that's usually about a three or four hour tryout ride where we run you through some basic drills. And ultimately we're not looking for the fastest kid or the kid with the best technique, or we're looking for the most coachable kid uh, and the kid that's willing to get out of their comfort zone, potentially slide out in a corner and be okay with doing that in front of your peers and getting up and trying again. Uh, we're not really worried about finding the kid that's going to be the next Richie Rude. We're more concerned about finding the kid that's going to help build the community and, and be a good steward for the trails and uh, just help the rest of the group progress as well. That's nice. pretty cool. That's, that's very similar to, uh, to a group in my area. I believe Tommy said, uh, you know, you know of them or have heard of them, uh, the right direction youth program. So yeah, very similar. Very cool stuff, man. Very cool. Yeah, I'm, I really wish I had programs like this when I was coming up racing. Uh, back in the day, I, I started racing downhill in 2003, and it was basically I, I showed up to Ragged Mountain in New Hampshire with my dad. We sort of knew what uh, downhill racing was just from, I think even back then it was still VHS tapes. Uh, I, I had a friend who sort of knew about it, and we showed up, and uh, I learned a lot of lessons that summer and most of them could have probably been a little less painful and expensive. So <laughs> having the ability to, to help these kids set a good foundation just to enjoy the sport and be smart about how they're progressing is really rewarding. That's great. So what's, what's kind of the age range? Is it high schoolers, middle schoolers, a range? Like what's that? So that's why we do the tryouts. We it's, aimed being a junior development program it's aimed at uh, the u20 category but we have kids as young as i think this year they started out at, as 12 year olds uh, and obviously birthdays happen so i think he's 13 now but the reason why we do tryouts is because we want to make sure that if we do have that really young kid in the program he's actually going to be able to keep up and stick pace with the older u20 kids that are trying to develop for pro um, so that's, that's why we have the trials is if there's a 10 year old who can keep up, you know, doesn't have to absolutely rip his legs off in practice, but he can show that going on those two hour practice rides once the season goes and being able to not be 
kind of slowing down the whole group, then we're more than happy to accommodate that person. So I basically say it's anybody appropriate skill-wise that's a U20 racer or below. Nice. I was, I was going to say that I was going to lie and say I was under 20, but I, I couldn't keep up with you guys anyway. So <laughs> I actually had quite a few people apply last year that were in their mid to late thirties, uh, which started spawn the idea of, do we do um, like an old guys development team? But uh, there's only so much time in the week to do all of that stuff. So, but it, it could be fun. We might do some, some, uh, I guess, I like to call my, cause this year I'll be able to race my racing edge will be 35. So I'll be able to race masters. I, I maybe call it the masters development team or do like a old guy weekend at thunder or something, some camp where we can do stuff with the, not, yes, not necessarily the youth. Um, just to yeah, accommodate everybody would be the goal. Nice. <laughs> let me know. I'll be there. Same. I'll definitely <laughs> let you know if it happens. If it happens. So with that team, what, um, what races do you, do you all do? Um, is it mostly just in, uh, like new England area or or does it branch out? So the requirement that we ask of all of our riders, so they have to to, to sign a rider agreement. So they understand what they're getting from us. And then we, they understand what we want from them in return. And one of the requirements is a minimum of three Eastern States cup races, which we figure financially is fairly reasonable for most kids that are already in the sport that heavily. Um, but we do have a few kids that are getting to the point of wanting to race the big mountain enduro series. A couple of the kids last year went to the Tennessee national, uh, at Winrock. Um, but primary focus is to develop riders to learn and progress through the Eastern States cup and, uh, guide them if they would decide to move on and do a bigger series or go to the EWS, they have the foundation. But the primary focus is the Eastern States Cup. Nice. So, listen. I mean, talk about your background in mountain biking, racing, and 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 that type of stuff. How did that? I, I know you said you went with your dad to a downhill race and kind of had that first year. It's a little nuts, but like, where? How did that progress through the years for you? Uh, it goes way further back than that. Uh, like any kid, I once my sister taught me how to ride without training wheels. I started to ride all the time and. Uh, one of my, I got into BMX cause there's skate park in my town and there was an after school biking program at my school. And the three of us that were part of it would want to go to the BMX track. I would go race at Wakefield BMX. So we did that for a few years, raced that. I think I was probably seven or eight racing BMX. Uh, and finally the teacher that ran the, the program, he was a, an old school mountain biker said, guys, there's mountain bike trails right behind the school let me show you what bikes can do. So he dragged us out there all in our BMX bikes. He had, I want to say it must've been an original rock hopper. It had a suspension stem, a Brooks saddle, a suspension seat post, this long gray curly hair flying out of his helmet. I just remember he did, there's like a, an access road gate and he did this roundabout thing up and around. And I just remember seeing him, his hair flying and just being like, that's freedom. I want a mountain bike. (laughs) (laughs) So right after that, I begged my parents for a mountain bike and I finally got one. And, uh, it was just really riding with him for the first year or so. And then, yeah, you start watching VHS tapes or DVDs or now YouTube. And, um, obviously as a, a kid, I liked hucking myself off of things and, um, then we ended up going to the downhill race and that was in 2003 and 
I fully stopped racing downhill in 2015 to fully take on enduro. So um, I guess that's the the quick rundown of it. <laughs> nice. <laughs> awesome. You did you did all this racing, all this stuff, uh, going here, going there, riding BMX, and then uh, what else? Pretty much it. So how long? How long do you think it took you to get comfortable enough to like fully say that you can shred a bike? any day of the week, just hop on the bike and go. How long do you think that took? Uh, this might be my teenage ego reminding me of what I thought I could do. I would say I felt like I was proficient at riding. Maybe by the time I was like 12 or 13, so I was able to ride dirt jumps pretty well. Um, back in the day, literally right near Fenway Park were what's known as what was known as the Fenway dirt jumps. And we would go there and I thought it was cool because I could do the fence line. It was the biggest line. Um, does that mean I was actually good? No. <laughs> uh, it took me <laughs> until uh, I want to say 2012. I actually what race pro for a few years, got hurt a bunch. And then running my race team, I stepped back down to category one. In 2012, I got my first regional Eastern States Cup championship. And then in 2013, I won Cat 1 National Champs in New Mexico. So I would say um, 10 years of riding to sort of be proficient and get an amateur national championship. I would say that was when I like, okay, I'm pretty decent at this. So it's just a like while. a work in progress and you just got to keep going and going, huh? Yeah, I think yeah. Tommy would agree when, when you start breaking down your riding like him and I have when we're doing coaching sessions, you think you're really good. And then you start to realize that how you're riding trails needs to change because your speed, your approach, how you're looking at the terrain is changing. And then you go, yeah. oh, I was good for that guy, but now I'm becoming this guy on the bikes. So now I suck again, so I better learn. And that's why I guess I'm addicted to it because you never are as good as you can be. You're never as fit as possible. You're never as fast as possible or as smooth through a corner or hit a jump as good as you want. And if you're into doing free ride stuff there's always a new trick to learn and always a new gap so i think that's why i'm so addicted to bikes is like right now i'm probably the fastest i've been and i still want to be faster and know how to do it i just have to do it <laughs> so it's a never-ending process yeah dude some of these guys in their 30s they're, they're killing it they're absolutely killing it it's nice yeah it's I mean, Jared Graves is a perfect example of it. He's a bit older, literally had brain cancer and had a tumor removed from his head right. and is still racing EWS. Uh, to me, that's insane. I don't, I don't know how he's doing that. Uh, a lot of respect for that. Where's a bunch of junkies? <laughs> Pretty much. I can yeah. never get enough. <laughs> so, I mean, to speak to that, like having done the couple lessons I've done with Willem, um, coming out of there, I just – like, like you were saying, I have this whole new take on how I should be doing things. And the more I ride doing those things, the better I get. And I remember vividly, like one of the things you said is you even still, right. Having the experience you have, the coaching, you know, and teaching people this, like telling me about when you're having a bad day, you specifically, like, what is it? All right, let me go back to basics, like hands off body check real quick and, you know, do your little pump you always talk about. But like, 
even, you know, with all the experience in the world, you, everyone still has those kind of resets they need. Absolutely. So uh, the last race we did at Jiminy Peak, I'm, I was actually finally putting together a good race for the first time on what feels like forever. Um, and then on stage five, I just bought an off-camera bid. I, um, I don't know, I lost the front wheel. It either went off the bench cut or hit a root and slid and I pile drove my face into the ground. I actually crashed the heart. I blew my goggles off and uh, cut my lip open pretty bad. And then obviously that was the end of my race and that stage wasn't great. Uh, so I went and rode Lincoln Woods and Diamond Hill a couple of times. It's like, okay, cool. Like, I, I think I'm fine. And then I went to Thunder the last weekend and was just free riding with a bunch of kids I coach and some friends and realizing like, man, I, I guess I'm shook up from that ride and or from that crash at the race. And I, I branched off from that group and, and just did a couple laps by myself on a trail that was similar to what I crashed on and tried to just sort it out, like figure out why I felt unsure of myself and, and work my way through that fear I had created from the crash and was able to actually feel confident again at the end of the day and be uh, a KOM I had already set on the trail. So that was very helpful. Uh, and it, it is basically reaffirming what you're saying. It's like, if you're off, you're feeling off that day, don't just keep hammering through it, slow down, go back to the basics, think about what you're doing. Don't try to ride as fast as your friend, try to ride as fast as you can that day and, and just try to work through it. Um, Cause yeah, like you said, it, it, it never ends. You always have to just, double down body check yourself make sure you're putting the input you're putting into the bike is proper for what you're trying to get out of it and um i think the hardest thing is being analytical of your own riding to even acknowledge that that was a pretty good breakdown man i think uh <laughs> <laughs> it's like something with me like if i'm riding i'm out there myself uh and i know i'm tired i'm probably not going to try and send it like i as as if i would like at the beginning of the ride or something after i get warmed up uh it's just knowing your limits uh pushing yourself maybe next time uh pretty cool stuff yeah yeah ride smart not not aggressive when you don't need to basically this is a perfect spot for a plug go get a mountain biking lesson and if you can get it get it from willem <laughs> yes it doesn't have to do with me but go go anywhere yeah. i need to get one next year but we hear it's great from you yes yeah i i personally think i'm pretty good at it but if i'm not in your region uh, find, find a good coach with around you that'll work with you. Even if you think you're uh, a top dog already and have all the skills, just go get a refresher and it'll, it'll teach you new stuff. I mean, simple things every year when I put new handlebars on my bike, I know I like to ride a certain width, but I always start at 800 and cut it down slowly. Just like always analyzing yourself. Don't ever think, you know, exactly what that thing is. Cause who knows, maybe you're techniques change and a wider bar is better or a narrower bar is better uh more times than not i end up at the same width but yeah just be analytical don't think you know everything be open to changing your bike setup and it'll make your experience a lot more fun and a lot more safe you know copper harbor has a has a clinic every year i'm thinking about doing it next year i think it's in highly recommend may it. or june <laughs> yeah, so yeah they call it like their big boys clinic or something so yeah, you better put your pants That's, on, man. Yeah, I might. <laughs> put those big boy pants on. <laughs> so, so I, I have a funny story. Actually, I went off of a jump in March that I should not have gone off of because I hadn't been on the bike that long at that point. 
and it like similar to what you were saying it's it like messed with my head to the point where like i don't really want to hit jumps because i don't know what i'm doing whatever right so we did the first lesson just cornering basic attack position that type of stuff and that helped a ton and then the second lesson we did like cornering on wiggles actually which that section lower wiggles is just awesome at lincoln woods and that was cool to just shred those berms all day um but part of it was jumping right so for me just doing that and having somebody be there and be like do this do that you should do this look at this video of yourself you didn't do this um and I think I texted you the next time I kind of got out in the woods on my local trails and just hitting like features on the trails. And I was like, dude, thank you. <laughs> like I, it just, everything's so much better now. And, um, to segue from that, I went up to Highland for the first time with, with a couple of friends and they were like, Oh, let's do a jumping lesson. And it was like, right. A week or something after I did it with you, I was like, yeah, sure. Whatever. And, um, Lo and behold, the dude rolls up on his bike and it's a dirt lab. And I'm like, you know, Willem, right? Because like <laughs> everyone who has those bikes, like, you know, they know Willem. And it was Justin. So, yep. yeah, it was, it was pretty cool. Yeah, he's a great guy and definitely the person I would recommend working with at Highland. I don't know any of the other coaches up there, but I know Justin. He's a great rider. And if he's available for sure, use him. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was funny. It just kind of like all those things fell into place, but yeah, I'll, I'll definitely be back for more lessons. Um, just got to figure out time. Yeah. Uh, that's always the hardest part. <laughs> you mentioned Richie Rune, right. And yourself being a really good rider. I know you ride with him here and there or quite often seen videos riding with like him. How is that? Right. Is it, is it like, you're a really good rider. And been doing this a long time. So, like, what's it like riding with him? It's uh, – well, I've known him forever. So, I guess the the stigma of, like, oh, I'm riding with Richie Rude maybe isn't there for me because he's just – I've known him since he was 12. So, he's just little Richie Rude to me. So, <laughs> so, I don't think of it as, like, that gnarly dude with the Red Bull helmet. Obviously, I think he's cool and I'm super proud of him. But – I'm more just like, hey, I could learn a little from him. He could learn a little from me. Uh, I would argue most of the time when I, it's a lot of talking bike setup. Um, he unfortunately wasn't able to show his new skills in the mud. Uh, <laughs> but over the last winter when we were on COVID, we were riding a lot and working on technique. And he was working on elbow angles so that he would give the right feedback through his handlebars because he would feel the front sliding in the mud. So that's kind of the stuff we talk about when we ride and are working on when we ride mm. now it also depends on the ride if we're just going out for a session to work on skills that's one thing it's really no different than if you and i are out there uh, but then when we do go out on training rides um i will happily admit i've ripped his legs off and made him walk before <laughs> so it, it really just depends <laughs> on his day um he he knows those rides where i've done that to him and um uh, he'll get a good smirk about him because they are suffer fests um at, at least once a year we do a ride where we ride everything at lincoln woods ride all the way back to diamond uh, to diamond hill ride everything there and then you got to ride back to your car which is at lincoln woods it ends up being about a 50 mile ride and takes like seven and a half hours um that one was pretty brutal and uh yeah that one 
I was able to crush him a little bit on that. Um, but I don't know if it's really any different. He's just my friend on a bike. Yeah. Uh, if I could ride, if I could chase him and then have the clock ticking and not have him in front of me, I feel like I could be a top 20 WS guy. But then when he's not in front of me, I don't have that speed perception. I'm obviously barely a top 10 local guy. So um, it's always a treat to ride with him because the stuff he does on his bike, you're like, I didn't even see that line and I've ridden this trail a hundred times. So it's a treat for sure. But I guess I don't really think about it that much because it's just my buddy that I ride with. That makes sense. So uh, what is your favorite thing about riding bikes? Um, well, the community, first of all. I mean, what we're doing right now is really cool. Uh, sitting in the, the parking lot around a fire after a bike park day is always fun. Uh, I, would, I would argue like the middle of the winter rides when we're all bundled up and everyone's meeting on a Saturday and just going out you're just stoked to not be in your house and seeing like-minded friends so i guess the people would be the biggest thing um outside of that uh the traveling and the the places i've gotten to see uh one thing as i got older i realized racing downhill you only really ride one trail and you're so focused on finding the line and finding the speed and working on your bike you never actually stop to look around when i started racing enduro that was half the reason i did it i was like wow i actually can look at these views and see these places that really hikers can't even get to because it's so far into the wilderness. Uh, so that was another thing I really like. Uh, and then in terms of my sensation that I like on a bike, uh, my favorite type of riding would be tech flow, just linking together, gapping off of rocks and roots and snapping corners and finding jumps and rhythms where they're not. That's, that's the best sensation I can imagine on a bike. So I guess those three things, the adventure people and tech flow. Very cool. Yeah, the adventure part is definitely always going to be in there. I'm a, I'm also a tech flow guy. I don't I don't always need all the jumps, but <laughs> having some nice chunk there, man, it's moi. Yep, you just link <laughs> it together just right. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, we can have. I'll ask another one. Sure. Uh, you said you said a BMX was your first bike. Yes what brand of that and then uh you also mentioned like mountain biking uh when you first got that one what bike was that so my first bmx bike was the standard mongoose just beater i don't even know if it had a handbrake i think it probably just had a coaster brake and that evolved into slowly getting i think like my first real nice bike was a hoffman uh, and of course i only had pegs on the rear so i could get my friends rides that kind of thing <laughs> um and then my first real BMX race bike, I can't remember the model name, but it was a, it was such a cool GT. I got it for Christmas one year and I remember it was blizzarding outside. I put all my race gear on. I just went and pedaled around the streets on my brand new race bike. Um, and then my first real mountain bike, uh, I want to say it was like a rock hopper 24 fully rigid. And then my first like actual suspension mountain bike was a Cannondale f700 i think that was the model it was a a hardtail i still have the frame i managed to blast a hole in the down tube because i had slammed into a picnic bench trying to get up it so i learned that lesson pretty quickly (laughs) um so yeah those are kind of the first few bikes i had my first mountain bike was and i was probably I don't know, nine or 10. It was a Cannondale F400. And it was like 
blue that faded to purple, a nice. hardtail with like the head shock, right? Yes. That I love that thing. And that's really kind of what did it for me. And then my next mountain bike after that was a Cannondale F800 and it had the lefty. And yeah. I thought that was like the coolest thing in the world. And um, it was fun. I, I had a blast in all the local trails on that thing. Yeah, I remember Aaron Chase used to have a Cannondale lefty and he could only X up turning to the right. And I just thought that was so cool. Like, <laughs> I don't know. I just remember watching him do BMX tricks on a mountain bike. And we're like, whoa, he can only turn it to the right. That's crazy. <laughs> as far as coaching goes, um, I'm you've been doing it a few years now. Have Have you ever had a kid get better than you? That's the point. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, it, yes, I have, actually. Um, one of the kids, Zach Siegel, is his first year racing pro. I generally try to get my guys to wait until they're 19 to go to pro. Um, that would be the youngest I'd recommend, unless you're just an absolute phenom. Most of those guys, I, I, I try to get them to wait and develop. This year is his first year in pro, and uh, while I've got him the last three races, he's beat me a few times this year, and I willingly take the punishment. I'm proud of him for doing it. That's the entire point. Uh, and then another kid who's still U20, uh, Luke Mello, he, uh, I'll give it to him. He beat me last race. I, I did, you know, smash my face on the last stage of the day, but he got me. He's super humble and, and, and a really nice kid anyway. So I try to get him to brag about it a little bit. And uh, yeah, that's, that's the whole point is I want them to get faster, especially I'm, you know, I'm, getting in my mid thirties, I shouldn't be beating all the teenagers still. That would be crazy. That's awesome. I mean, I'm not going to give it to them easily. <laughs> I, I try hard to not, to not <laughs> let them beat me, but yeah, they're going to get there. Yeah. I mean, do the, does the whole team like give you shit, like after kind of mess with you? Or? Uh, I, I would say it's the other way around. If I ever beat them or I get them on a stage, I'll, I'll give them the old dog still got it guys. And they all kind of smirk at me like, Oh shoot, he still got it. <laughs> I got to make sure they know who, who's the fast guy. So I don't lose my coaching credibility. <laughs> you also mentioned that you have like coaches in training. Um, are those just guys who have kind of done really good in the program, shown interest and you, you kind of guide them towards that or are they, how's that work? Yes. That's basically the idea of it. What it really comes down to is I'm a firm believer. If you can teach it, you can coach it. Uh, or, or, you know, it rather, if you, if you can teach it, you know, it, that's what I was trying to say. And during practices, I'll have the Devo kids, even the new kids hold up the bike and try to explain to the hands off body check position or hip hinging or any of that. I try to explain that to another kid who's up here. One, I feel like it helps break down some social anxiety they might have, but two, if they can explain it to someone, it means they're processing it a little bit better. There are a few kids I've been working with for quite a few years now that definitely show initiative. They jump on when they can, they're willing to help. Um, and yeah, they're, they're coaches in training. Basically what it comes down to is waiting until Luke's the only kid this that's not 18. He'll be 18 next summer, wait until he's 18 so I can cover him in insurance. And then he'll be able to help me with big groups. And then when it's an appropriate situation, he'll be able to take clients one-on-one -on -one if I'm not available. But yeah, really just, it's the kids with the initiative who apply the skills really well, who have great technique and are able to articulate and say, watch you. They know to pull their phone out 
shoot the video, they can say, Hey, you're not pushing with your feet. You're yanking with your bars, whatever. They're able to diagnose it. But I think the idea that you can go and do like a long weekend and be a coach all of a sudden, while there's definitely value to those programs, it's really hard to diagnose sort of the fine details of it in that short amount of time. Uh, and so that's why I really focus on those kids giving me at least a couple of summers to learn how I want them to coach and how to help clients the best they can. And, and it makes, it, it makes total sense to me because a couple different uh, on both lessons, right? He, like the second lesson, it was as simple as like a, a, like a one sentence cue, right? Like it, for me on that lesson was eyes up, heels down. And that, and that was the mantra for the day. Um, and again, like you said, you, you had to watch me and see what I was doing. And those two things were really affecting how I was hitting those corners. Yep. And that helped a ton. I still say it in my head when I'm riding, like heels down. Good. Heels down. <laughs> Good. Yeah. I have clients tell me, Oh, I was doing runs at the bike park and I could just hear your voice in the back of my head screaming at me. I actually always makes me chuckle, but in a good way. Cause it's like, okay, uh, maybe they find it annoying at the time, but it is effective. Uh, the eyes up heels down, I would argue is probably the most common one, the most common cue that I, I give people. But what I really like to offer is I, especially with a new client, I'll explain to them. I have cues that I use that are generally good for most people, but for some reason, if the eyes up heels down isn't working for you, tell me that and we can come up with a mantra that's going to be more effective for you. Uh, like I have a, a client that I work with that he much prefers if I just yell attack and that reminds him to like, okay, attack, get my attack position, get ready to fight and, you know, put my chin into, into it and look through and really attack the trail. And that, that seems to be his eyes up heels down cue. So just being able to, that's funny. I was actually messing around one day on a trail saying attack. So <laughs> yeah. Sure. <laughs> Use something like that. Yeah. I was going totally through the woods. Off. I had my, Oh yeah. Only one out there. His pitch voice. No, I was not the only one out there. <laughs> I just had a few friends and we were just goofing off and it, you know, we were having some good fun. The guy riding around screaming attack, attack is not the weirdest thing I've seen in the woods. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> There's some weird stuff you see at Lincoln Woods for sure. Um, I know we're talking about like Lincoln Woods. Um, God, what was the other Diamond Hill? If you, we didn't really mention it, but Willem lives in Rhode Island. Are, are you from originally from Rhode Island? Yes. All right. So for reference, so you know what we're talking about right now. Yeah, Lincoln Woods and Diamond Hill are basically just outside of Providence, Rhode Island. And those are the two spots that I like to ride the most. They they are, I guess, really enduro-esque. There's kind of one main climb and a lot of runs that go off of them. And being so close together, the fact that the terrain is so different between the two spots is really unique. And we have very mild winters for the, compared to the rest of New England. So we get a lot of the Vermont crew that comes down here and rides because we don't get snowed in. Not Pinewood, we don't get snowed in. Uh, for very, very much throughout the winter where the rest of the New England is definitely locked in with snow. I'm so Only jealous there. of that. I know. <laughs> well, come to Rhode Island and ride. I'll be down. Yeah, it's sure. only like 35 minutes from me. 
it's crazy that 35 minutes changes it. Uh, my in-laws live north of Boston and we drive up there and it's like, whoa, it's the Arctic up here. And, you know, it's it's 30 degrees in Rhode Island, but you go up there and it's like 15 and windy. It's so crazy. Just that little bit further north, it, it changes everything. And meanwhile, Tyler's in Wisconsin, so. Yeah, that's yeah. nothing. Right in the central. <laughs> Canada? Yeah. Can- yeah, Canada. I live in Canada. Oh, yeah, Canada. <laughs> Tyler raced his first uh, enduro race, right? Yeah, yeah, I did. I, I raced uh, at Copper Harbor. Um, I did their beginner enduro, because I've never raced before, just to see what would happen. Um, I got, what was it, 16th out of 23rd? <laughs> And I had one rack, so um, it was better than I expected, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, that's a good place to start. You got to go to to figure it out. Uh, if you don't start anywhere, then how can you progress? So good on you. For sure. Thanks. Yeah, I appreciate that. So. Willem, where's your um? If you could, if you could ride anywhere every day, where would that be? Uh, that's a an interesting question because I've been fortunate enough to ride, especially all over North America. I've gotten just ride a lot of California, go down to Bentonville usually once a year, uh, get down to North Carolina, Colorado, all of those places. But for whatever reasons, uh, I go away from home for a while and ride. And then I get back to Lincoln woods and there's just something about it there. I don't know. I would argue that's my favorite place to ride. And I've, I've been lucky to ride a lot of places. Um, outside of that, I really like Greer Ranch in California. It's in Temecula, California. That place is really fun. It's sort of a, it's a park with self-shuttled downhill laps. Um, and actually the guy that taught me a lot about what I know about cornering is one of the main trail builders there. And the berms are just so fun. And, and I, I visit him cause he lives there. And when we ride, I just remind myself like, Oh, that's what cornering is supposed to look like. So I think half of it is just the corners are good and then good memories of being like, oh, yeah, this guy is the one that told me what to do. <laughs> so that's another spot I really enjoy going to. That's great. How about you guys? Where's the best spots you guys have ridden? Uh, we got a place about an hour, 20 minutes north of Toledo. It's called DTE. Um, it, it's it's more flowy machine cut stuff, but they try to put some chunk in there, which I really like. Um, there's also a place like north, I, th- I want to say it's like northeast of Detroit, technically. Um, maybe northwest a little bit more. Uh, but that has a bunch of places uh, back in the, it's like super enduro, techie. And then they have also flow. They have stuff for groms. They actually call it the grom loop. Um, and I've ridden some pretty cool places like south of uh, St. Louis just recently. It was pretty nice. And then Marquette. Yeah. <laughs> awesome place. Marquette is great. I haven't gone there yet. That, that's the next place I got to get to. Um, yeah, my my favorite places so far, like, locally, um, well, there's a little Swiss bike park, and that's in Slinger, Wisconsin. It's, like, 200 feet of vertical. The The lifts are really short, but they, make, they build everything really great, so that's fun. Um, and then Copper Harbor and Duluth. Uh, Duluth is amazing um but then as far as uh like outside of you know a few hours I think I had the most fun at Trestle uh 
because I had a lot of friends there that rode that week. That was in August. Uh, but that was a place where I was able to progress a lot. Um, other than that, I, I'm still waiting for my whole enchilada shuttle <laughs> because I got rained out. So, yeah. Yeah, you got to ride one. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's got to happen. Um, they told me they give me a they give me a free shuttle ticket because because I like waited the whole week and I couldn't get it. So, yeah, I'll have to take them up on that. Nice. My, I guess my home track is Blue Hills because I can be in there in 10 minutes from my house and there's a ton of stuff in there. Um, good amount of tech, some good single track on like the other side, like the Ponkapog side. But as you know, I, I kind of just got back in the mountain biking last November. So just about a year now, my, I would say the best spot that I've rode thus far is a Scutney trail system in Vermont. And I mean, I think we did like 11-ish miles on one of the rides. I mean, it was like 1,800 feet of elevation. Um, I mean, you just climb like crazy, but that is one spot where like the downs are 100% worth every bit of climbing. Um, really well-made, uh, man-made trails and good berms and jumps. It was just, it, it was awesome. I, I really want to go back there. And then... um somewhere else in Vermont I want to go to is kingdom trails. And hopefully, I mean, Stu was supposed to be on here tonight. He's in Vermont, him and his wife, him and his girlfriend are going to go up there. I think in a couple of weeks, I'm going to try to meet him up there for like a, a weekday mental health day type thing. You know, if you can make it happen, you have to go check out victory Hill. It's on the other side of Burke and it's basically like wiggle, but on a Vermont size hill, and it never ends. It's so much fun. What, yeah, what's it called? Birth. Victory Hill. Oh, I'm on it. I don't know. I, they have some land access issues there. I know they've been slowly opening it back up. Uh, it might be worth a little research on the appropriate ways to legally access the land. I think you can pay to play, but I'm not sure because it's okay. sort of... But uh, yeah, if you go up there and ask about about it from any of the locals, they'll be able to point in the right direction. But that place is so much fun. Uh, Night eyed and and his whole, I think they it's I think it's, eyed trail building or something like that. They do all the trail building there, and he does such a good job. Nice, good tip. I I can't wait. I'll probably end up going. I'll go for like a day and then end up calling my wife at like seven and be like so uh i'll see you tomorrow <laughs> <laughs> yeah good luck <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> i mean you've been on you've been all over the place um in new england other than you know your your home track lincoln woods and stuff like vermont like all over what's what's some good stuff that you've written that that are maybe aren't like not like highland or thunder thunder mountain like kind of lesser known stuff that you really like um so a lot of the places i've visited are, are race venues i don't get to just go on trips a lot and if i do it's to go to killington that's my favorite spot to get up to um but it, it, in terms of the places that maybe are off the beaten path it's technically a bike park now because they opened up the lift. But if you like really gnarly New England trails, 
Bolton Valley. That's that spot. Um, I went there before it was lift access and it was brutal. It was like a 1500 foot climb each time for a lap, but, uh, the riding that you did, uh, definitely double black diamond stuff that, the whole way down, but that stuff's really fun. Um, mountain peg in Woodstock, Vermont. If you do like a Killington Mount Peg Day, that's really good. Um, North Conway is really fun. The only thing I don't like about North Conway is just access to the Hurricane Mountain Trails is kind of either you pedal up a paved road or you have to shuttle. And I always end up having the shuttle truck that gets beat to crap. So I don't really like that. But other than that, the trails there are phenomenal. Um, and then, yeah, it's hard to beat Kingdom Trails just for quality XC riding in New England. Um, one of the spots that's outside of New England that I would definitely say is sort of a hidden gem, even though it's not really hidden, it's just not known, um, is Baker Creek Preserve. It's in Knoxville, Tennessee. It's literally in Tennessee, or sorry, in Knoxville city limits. There's uh, two paved pump tracks, a paved jump trail, then two different sides of a hill with uh, flow trails and then really rocky trails. Um, that, that place is always surprising to me with how quality it is and how close it is to the city center. I think if every major city can have something like that, even if they don't have elevation, they should consider it. I had the uh, privilege to ride Baker's Creek too. And that was, the pump track is amazing. And like you said, it's, it's so big. Like yeah. You have one pump track that is just humongous and you can like go off to the left and there's that little dirt yeah. line. And then right behind you from all those drops, there's a, just another area and then you can take it across yep. the street and ride so many so many other things there's a bunch of pump uh like a mini pump track and then a few wooden burns and then just all the all the trails that go up into the yeah. mountain and then to top it off there's a Crazy. really awesome mexican restaurant basically at the trailhead <laughs> yes right at the corner of the road i went in there completely stinking yep like mud and water the one day and I did not care. My girlfriend was up with me. We had best food ever. I forget what the place is called. I can't remember either. And I don't want to throw out some random name, but it, it's that place. I'll be so corrected. <laughs> some, uh, there's a guy, there's a guy that lives in that area and he's, he listens to our podcast. And as soon as he listens to this, he'll, he'll correct me. Yeah. And he'll, he'll, he'll at least be like, you dummy. It was this and this. So. <laughs> right. <laughs> Definitely hit up that Mexican restaurant. Definitely worth it after you burn some calories. For sure. <laughs> yes. All right, then to change gears a little bit, tell us about Dirt Lab and, and those those frames and things. Yeah, so um, the backstory to that is I have a few contacts within the industry. And I want to say in like 2008, the idea of starting a, a a bike brand or distribution or something it started to come into play but then you know the housing recession and the economy crashed right about then as well so um we obviously didn't go forward with it back then and then uh at the end of 2019 the conversation came up about potentially revisiting the project we made some progress and then the whole COVID thing happened. So the, the joke amongst the, the people I work with is that every time we try to do this project, the world ends. Um, so basically, it's a passion project. Uh, I, we've got a, um, there's a lot of people involved in different ways. I guess I'm the face of it. And in the sense of the marketing and 
um, advertising and, and actually being the person that interacts and distributes. And uh, I do oversee most of the import. Um, but we have an engineer we work with who is Dutch, who actually moved to Taiwan because it's easier to, uh, you know, just make sure quality control is good. And then we've got a, another partner in the US that, that helps with some quality control stuff and just overseeing a few other things. Um, so basically, uh, I'm the US distributor for Bike Lab, uh, and it's not exclusive to me, but it is exclusive in terms of distribution within North America through me. Um, it's a it's a great bike. We're not trying to reinvent the wheel or anything with it, but um, if you go on our website, you'll see it, it looks like a lot of the other horse link bikes out there, and, and it performs quite similarly. Uh, but we have an integrated chain guide, and then the lower shock link is very you know, um, very unique in the sense that. You have a high and low setting, but with that high and low setting, not only can you make it uh, a more uh, trail-oriented XC geo, but you can change the shock size so you can make it a 120, 130, 145 frame. Uh, with the 145 setup, you can flip the length to high and then run a mullet rear wheel and keep the geometry the same as 29. And then uh, there is a, a couple other links that we're working on that change the geometry more for racing that really slacken it out, make the head angle like 63, drop the bottom bracket a bunch. Um, it's just a really versatile bike, really simple to work on and uh, has performed awesome for all the guys that are on it this year um, for obvious reasons with all the uh, manufacturing constraints and everything. The, the launch within the States was a little more conservative than we initially planned. But hopefully things settle down here in the next year, I hope, and we'll be able to hit it a little bit harder and, and you'll start to see those frames floating around more. Uh, plus, we always have some new products and things in development. I'm, I'm not going to awesome. lie. I, nice. I think it's like at least once a month I go on the website <laughs> and like look at them and I'm like, oh, I'm thinking about <laughs> it. And then I'm like, oh, my God, my wife will kill me. and can't do it. But eventually, eventually yeah. I am going to grab one of those. Awesome. That's good to hear. It's, it's a super good bike and I've gotten to ride uh, a lot of different bikes and, and honestly, you get to a certain price point and it's apples and oranges or it's Chevy versus Ford. They all do everything really well. Um, it's finding, I think more what we focus on is finding a brand that you, you like their story. Transition bikes are super popular because the, the marketing is, you know, giddy up suspension technology, all those things is fun. It's gimmicky and the product works great. Um, some people like to go with uh, bigger manufacturers like Trek because there's a lot of support behind them. You know, they have a ton of people doing engineering and those are great products as well. Uh, we're trying to, I guess, slide into the more uh, authentic Northeast New England or I guess East Coast because we have some people down South on them as well. Um, and really just building, designing, and marketing a bike for just the raw East Coast guy. Uh, and usually with that type of bike, as any of you guys have been in New England or ridden East Coast-ish trails, the bikes here take a beating. So you have to have a nice durable bike, and, and uh, that's really the goal. Trying to figure out a way to stand out, basically, what it comes down to. I like it. How many people you guys have riding for you guys? 
So um, there are ambassadors, uh, and officially there's myself, um, which I guess I don't really count, <laughs> seeing that I work for them. <laughs> uh, but uh, then there's technically... Uh, well, it's, it's, diff it's different with us because if you have one of our frames, we view you like one of our riders. So we try to communicate with you about, Hey, we've got this link. Maybe you want to try it. Things like that. But officially ambassadors, we've got uh, Zach Siegel, Luke Mello and uh, Sam Poirier, who are all Northeast riders and all conveniently are CCF clients, but they do a really great job at promoting and marketing for us. And, and if you look at their race results, all three of them have had phenomenal results on the bike. So it, I think it proves the, uh, the quality of the performance of the bike as well. So I guess three ambassadors include and excluding myself. But the reason why I say it's a little different with us is because, um, and other brands do a similar thing, but when things kind of get more organized and we can project a little better, we plan on doing like suspension setup days where someone from dirt lab, probably me will be at a trailhead from X time to X time. Hey, come by. We'll help you. We'll answer some questions. We'll kind of give you some support to get the most out of your bike. I know other brands do that. Um, but it's just a matter of how we're trying to expose it. Maybe taking a little extra time to explain, Hey, if you tried this setup, it could give you this. And, um, I pride myself in being fairly proficient at suspension setup and bike setup. It's something I really enjoyed doing. And so if I can use that knowledge to help people feel like they're getting a little more out of the product and feel more involved with the company, that's the goal. Yeah. I mean, that, that's great. That's customer service, right? Like above and beyond. Right. That's right. That's basically yeah. what you're trying to do. Yeah. I mean, you, you, and that doesn't mean I won't, that doesn't mean I'll only work on or help set up uh, dirt labs. I think Tommy, I've helped you, uh, with your, your trek a little bit, we've talked about suspension settings. I, I think we might've changed sag or something on your bike. One of the times yep. I can't remember, but, uh, I'm, I'm a bike nerd through and through, especially in terms of how do you make the bike perform? Well, I just really enjoy that. Um, and if you're, you watch enough people riding, you kind of can figure out really quickly if someone's bike's not set up right at all. Uh, especially when you're teaching them proper cornering technique. I had someone who set their bike up. Oh yeah, I set sag. Sag's great. And I was watching them. I was like, you mind if we maybe double check sag? And I kind of put base settings in his bike and all of a sudden his riding was way better. And he goes, man, that I didn't think I needed to do that much air or whatever it was. And I think it's just the, uh, the bike coach slash mountain bike nerd in me that just really enjoys helping people set their bikes up. And, and when he says he's a mountain bike nerd, he is a mountain bike nerd. Um, some of the stuff he went into was super scientific, right? When we were, when we were talking, like, I think I, I had asked you to like check on my sag and stuff. And we kind of went through that. You had your pump with you and this is above and beyond the lesson, right? You just took, you took some time to help me out. And, um, we were going through that and you got into like, um, like, like stem height and all kinds of stuff started explaining that and what it will do. And like basically hit me with some really scientific shit. Like this is going to do this. This is going to do that. And if you do this X, Y, and Z is going to happen. And I was like, Oh, shit. right. And it has a lot to do with uh, what kind of riding you're doing. You, you, you might find you like a different uh, handlebar height or stack height or suspension setup for bike park or in 
enduro days versus what setting you prefer at somewhere like kingdom trails where it's more about putting power to the ground so you want your front end a little lower so you can get more power through your glutes and hamstrings as you pedal so it really just depends on what you're doing with the bike and being able to acknowledge that and adapt to it more times than not because i'm such a nerd about it and i carry around different stems with me or different tire compounds or whatever uh, more times than not find a thing that's comfortable and just go ride your bike and learn how to ride your bike comfortably and have a good time don't you don't have to geek out to uh to be a real mountain biker or anything like that it's just something i enjoy about it what would you do if you couldn't geek out probably be frustrated with how my bike felt <laughs> uh, why can i get yeah. this yeah exactly i, I just like the tender <laughs> It's, it's half of it for me too. I guess that would be another thing I'd add to about what, what I like about riding. It's just the technology and tinkering with it. And uh, yeah, helping people like Tommy get the most out of their bike, but just simply explaining sag. That, that's a huge one for people. Set sag and even understanding how to count flickers. Most people count them the wrong direction. Yep. And explaining that um, and then explaining what you're doing and what, how it's working. Uh, the biggest thing I notice people have a uh not necessarily a bad understanding but a maybe backwards understanding of rebound uh they think if they're getting bucked that they need to slow their rebound down and a lot of times it's actually the opposite a lot of times you're getting the suspension packing up and pushing you forward when the bike's not able to recover from each hit so it gets harsher and harsher and harsher you get tighter and tighter and tighter and then eventually the trail wins and throws you over the bars so I noticed that on my last ride, I kind of dialed back a couple clicks after I did that. Yeah. More so, times than not set it as fast as you can control. So if you can get your rebound to go as fast as you can, that's ideal because it'll help keep the, the bike at the top of its travel, which is where the bike's engineered to be uh, ridden at in terms of bottom bracket height, pedal striking, head angle, seat angle, all those things. On top of that too, if you're, have your bike too slow, it gets bogged down in its travels so that if you have a drop come up all of a sudden or a really quick tight corner and your bike's already halfway through its travel, you, you just, you can't move as well through it and the bike doesn't let you execute that corner or drop as well if it's stuck down in its travel. Yeah, that's another one where uh, video analyzing helps a lot. Like I'll, like, I, like with Tommy learning how to jump and, and pushing through and not getting bucked off that little rock at the top of the lip finding video really helps and then if i have someone who's trying to figure out suspension i'll literally go up and i'll run it slow-mo and we'll watch and and be like you know i know you're telling me it feels like this but what we're seeing feels like that um and then being able to dial it in for him uh, i guess this is a, a humble brag my, my buddy jake was out in utah for the last bme and he was asking me suspension settings and so i called him and he kind of gave me some feedback what was going on with his um it, you generally if someone asks you about suspension tell them what you're feeling in your hands and your feet uh and based off of some information he was able to give me i gave him some clicker suggestions and then he strapped a shock whiz to his bike and then sent me a screenshot and everything was right in the middle and he goes Shockwiz says Willem, right? So for me, that was kind of cool. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was pretty neat. And he was like, all right, man, no more excuses. I got to run it. Shockwiz says you're right. I'm just going to go. So that was pretty cool. That's uh, pretty cool stuff. Yeah, I mean, yeah, just as simple as like, 
um, high and low speed compression. Um, I read a bunch of articles. I watched YouTube a bunch and I was just like, ah, and you literally was just like high speeds, this low speeds, this, and it, it was just made total sense. Right. Yep. Um, that was, that was a huge help. The other way to think about it too, that helps some people is I think about it as sound waves. So if you have a high frequency, so it's making a high change, uh, that would be high speed compression and low frequency, which is small. So small changes, small bump compliance, chattery stuff, high frequency would be heavy impacts, bottom out resistance through your suspension. So yeah, low speeds sort of the first half, high speeds, the second half of your travel. And and that's the same thing for rebound as well. Told you guys he was a, a nerd. He said, "He just it. made it I simple, it. man. If you can make it simple, <laughs> then you know it for sure." Yeah, I think I'm at one setting. Exactly. That's what. <laughs> what setting? What's that? I don't think I've ever changed my settings. Uh, I think I've just set it in the middle and said, "Let's go." <laughs> now you know, yeah. bro. More times than not, right? Yeah, more times than not, set it to the factory setting, but make sure you're doing it right. So uh, a lot of people won't turn the clickers right when they say say on uh, uh, rebound, they say six clicks out. That means from all the way clockwise, that's zero. And then if you if you hear or feel it, that counts as one, so counterclockwise. A lot of people do it the opposite way, and then they're setting the rebound completely wrong. So righty-tighty, and then count it if you feel it or hear it out. That's the setting that they're telling you to do from the manufacturer's book. Hmm. Yeah, now I got to I gotta look at He's that going out to his garage right after this podcast. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I lose sleep <laughs> over that stuff. I've gotten up in the middle of the night and gone and turned clickers. I felt like this today on the bike, and I'm sitting there like, why does my bike feel like that? And I'll just get up, and I'll go downstairs, and I'll count clickers, and I'll be like, all right, I'm going to go one click faster on rebound. Maybe that'll be better, and then I'll remember, and I'll think about it, and I'll go to sleep, and I'll go ride in the morning. But, yep, that was better, and it probably was not any better. <laughs> just in my mind. So, I mean, we, we usually ask – um like this big question right everyone who comes on we we ask it's a simple question but it's it's a big question like why do you ride bikes today for like whatever like why why do you ride uh i guess i sort of answered that earlier when i was explaining my first like mountain bike memory and sort of when i fell in love with mountain bikes is freedom uh it's freedom obviously freedom to go kind of wherever you want but also too it's just mental freedom i can go out and uh, clear my mind and expel energy so that i can focus more on uh everything else in my life so i I guess it's freedom and sort of a meditation side of it um that's why i ride bikes just mental health really i i i love that because i i can relate to that um it just i have a daughter i have a family i have a you know, crazy job that's stressful most of the time. And like when I'm on my bike, I'm not to say I'm not thinking about my family. I, I'm not going there. Right. But it's just me and the bike and the trail. And I, I just love being in the woods on my bike. And it, it takes for an hour or two or whatever it is. That's the only thing I think about. Plus I feel great after like, Always get so, a nice pump. And it makes me better at all those other things, right? Like I feel better. I, I'm more available to my family. I'm I'm a better employee. All, all of those things. Yeah, for sure. Uh, one of the things that 
uh, I kind of explained to my wife because she she says I ride my bike too much. And I think she's more saying that in the sense of like, I'm probably literally wearing my body too much. Um, <laughs> but she'll kind of explain to me, hey, you should probably rest or whatever. And I say, I got to go ride my bike so that I can be the best I can be for you. And then I sort of explained to her where she really loves to do art. And if she's focused on an art project, I just let her run free, be creative, do what she's got to do, because then I get the best version of her after she's kind of gotten through all of that stuff. Uh, so, yeah, just figuring out that thing that helps you just be clear, be present when you're doing other things. Told my mom today, I don't know what I'd do without riding my bike the rest of my life. So I need that for my mental health. Yeah. Man. <laughs> same yeah she probably she probably thinks it's so annoying and all my friends probably think i'm so annoying that don't ride but i don't care yeah yeah i like my bike was broke um actually i smoked my rear hub it was uh ended up being like uh a warranty so they bontrager replaced it or i'm gonna get it tomorrow which is awesome but after that happened, a buddy let me borrow his rear wheel. I've been riding on that and I'm going off topic now, but it's a tube tire and it's, and it's just not what I'm used to. And I'm, you know, it's new England. Every time I ride, I'm like, Oh my God, I'm going to have a five or six mile hike out of here. Yeah. Um, Cause I don't have the size tube that fits in there because I don't right. It's a 2.2 tube tire and whatever. Um, Anyways, and then on my through bolts, on my suspension, like the most random thing in the world happened. I wasn't even doing anything crazy. They must have been stressed. I like took a pedal and I heard like a loud ping and like one of the heads just flew off. Like it just sheared right off. Um, so obviously I couldn't ride after that. So I was waiting on the parts to come in. And I swear that week I was like a miserable, just like. I, I don't know. I was one. I was like, I want my bike back. And two, I just, I didn't have that release. Um, I did ride the Peloton a few times. I am not ashamed to say it. Um, actually that's, that's another funny story. Um, so we got that during like the heart of COVID, I think probably just like every other person in the world got a Peloton. And I rode it a few times. That was before I started ride, riding my bike, like before I bought my bike. And I hated it. I was like, this sucks so bad. Like, I am so out of shape. And I rode it for the first time when my bike was broke. And I did like this 45-minute class and absolutely crushed it. And I was like, this is awesome. So <laughs> I've seen a lot of progress. So that's, that's my story yeah. there. <laughs> I can relate to that. When I was younger, I absolutely hated riding uh, the stationary bike. I just didn't get the point. And then as you get older, you sort of see fitness and you, you're like, oh, okay, it's, it's still going, it's growing, or you're really progressing. And yeah, I, 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 a lot of the kids I coach in the, in the wintertime, they'll, oh, I need to get a trainer. I got to get a smart trainer, this, that, the other thing. And I'm like, yes, if that's your only option, absolutely get on the trainer. But in terms of burnout, uh, I don't want you to do that when you're that young because you have to get to kind of a, I don't want to say we're old, but older when you're more patient and understanding to like why the pain is there and why it's fun and beneficial to you. But most of the time I tell those kids, I'd rather have you go outside in the freezing cold and do 
corner drills and sprints for 45 minutes and sit on the trainer for 45 minutes. But that doesn't mean when the only option, because it's dark or something, is to ride the trainer. But having that that sort of thing in the back of your mind, like I got to keep going or I won't be able to enjoy my mountain bike ride as much, definitely helps fuel the fire when you're just miserable sitting, going, pedaling real hard to go nowhere. It's always <laughs> such a... <laughs> It's a hard thing to battle, especially when you've got months of trainer rides in front of you and your program's calling for them and you're just sitting there grinding it out. And you're like, man, my butt's starting to hurt. This TV's getting boring. I've watched this YouTube video a hundred times. Like, yeah, it's, but you just got to remember those, those days on the bike and even the bad days, like when your bolt broke is probably better than, the, than a good trainer ride. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so. That's me. That's not me saying trainers are the worst. That's just me saying, you know, keep it in perspective. And if you enjoy it, do it. And it makes it fun to ride. Absolutely ride the trainer. But if you start to hate bicycles because you're riding the trainer, don't ride the trainer. <laughs> yeah. 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 I have a mechanical right now, so I won't be riding my, my full suspension bike for rest of the year. So I'll be on the road until it gets too icy out. And then I'm just going to push my dirt jumper everywhere. <laughs> so and that's it's pushing that thing around on yep. cross country ski trails uh, to get back to the top is, is more fun than than riding on the road. So I'm gonna keep doing that every other day. Probably a little warmer too. Oh, for sure. <laughs> yeah. What else we got? Is that, did we cover everything? I think we did. I think that's yeah. My phone, my or my computer. Oh wait, no, I didn't. Yeah, I think we did everything. Yeah. Uh, we haven't done question ten, and I'm neither here nor there on that one. Um, <laughs> oh yeah, it's true. I, I, don't do that. Him, yeah. I mean, I, I I can go into that, but it's yeah. Um, <laughs> if you want to go down that road with that question, I'll absolutely do that. But uh, that's not my favorite topic. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It, for everyone listening, it was about we're just asking about what like his worst wreck was. Um, and we can visit it. We can now. Yeah, now that I said it, I think we have to talk about it. So that's sorry, fine. Really. Yeah, all the bad. That's fine. No, I'm okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's okay. Uh, so I I've done all the standard collarbone, broken kneecaps, broken my leg, uh, broke a hip one time. Um, herniated a disc in my neck. I've broken both my wrists. Uh, but really, truly, the worst injury was a brain injury. Uh, in 2013, I was just dirt jumping at Highland. And I would tell you I know what happened, but I don't really. Uh, I landed basically, um, is it Sherwood Forest? I think that's what they're called. So there's these little dirt jumps kind of at the bottom of, of Highland. And uh, as far as I know from people that told me they saw it, I threw a whip and didn't bring it back and basically went from like 12 feet in the air to just the side of my head on the, the flat bottom between the two jumps. And if you've ever ridden solid dirt jumps, it's might as well be concrete. I only had an Troy Lee designs a one and it definitely saved my life, but 2013 was pre MIPS. Uh, so I didn't have the best technology in it. Um, but I really had no short-term memory for about, two weeks after that had to do a bunch of physical therapy to have balance, relearn how to, uh, some speech therapy, relearn how to write a little bit. I already have horrible handwriting, so it didn't really help. 
and then the worst part about it is the headaches and the uh, persistent neurological issues, uh, vision issues, aura issues, um, and then having to get an MRIs every couple of years to kind of keep track of what's going on in there. Like um, still to this but, day, like those symptoms? Uh, yeah, I'm actually dealing with stuff right now. Um, I have to get an MRI with contrast, which I guess basically means they put some form of ink in your blood so they can see what's going on in your brain. Uh, I have to get that in two weeks. And I had another MRI a couple of weeks ago where they're trying to check something else. So yeah, uh, definitely wear a helmet. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say, wear your helmet. Spend money on helmets. Um, I'm a firm believer of the lightest, safest helmet possible. After talking to uh, some concussion specialists throughout the years, um, if you think about it, like if you have a really big, heavy helmet and you drop it, the thing inside of it's going to hit the ground a little bit harder than if you have a super light helmet. So um, I generally ride a Troily design stages and that, that I like a lot because the, the force that you hit your, your head with is lower and that crash where I blew my goggles off uh, while well, I did hit my face on the ground pretty bad. And I was, I was shook up after it uh, and kind of worried about brain injuries. Um, I actually checked out all the concussion protocol and I give a lot of the credit to the helmet. Um, I also have a D4, which is a little heavier duty that I'm going to play around with just based off of the weight. It's not so much heavier, but it provides a little bit more protection with different layers of foam and nips um, and try to decide if I like that helmet a little more. I just have to be careful because if I have too heavy of a helmet, the issues with my neck flare up, which causes other problems. So um, yeah, basically if you hit your head, take it seriously. I, I had a, a kid in uh, on the development team this year have a pretty bad crash and had concussion symptoms. We got him checked out, and I actually had him uh, sit out about two and a half, three weeks till he passed his doctor's concussion protocol and um, almost had him not race. Uh, you know, talking to his parents and watching him ride, and because I I have a baseline of where his skills are normally at. And he seemed a little off, but I think some of it is just rusty and getting over the fear of his crash. Uh, but by the end of it, we made the call in conjunction with his doctor's advice to let him race. Um, but we do, and myself in particular, take head injuries pretty seriously. Um, the, the vision stuff is the worst. I, I damaged my optic nerve, and that took a while to recover. Now I have no issues seeing, but um, things can flare up and cause auras and like weird flashes it, it's basically like your standard migraine symptoms but uh prolonged and they won't go away for like five days in a row oh, <laughs> so geez. um yeah it's it it really there's no other way to put it it sucks um so that is my worst injury and uh it still affects me pretty much to right now wow that's crazy man I mean, yeah. <laughs> that's actually a lot of the reason why I started coaching is because I never had anybody really explaining to me like, Hey man, you keep doing that and you keep smashing your head. Maybe we should reevaluate. I never had someone explain to me like, Hey, to go faster, maybe slow down, work on your breaking points, work on your cornering. Um, I just thought faster was faster. And I just kept smashing myself into the ground. And um, I think a lot of those 
early teenage years, stubborn, smashing my head, thinking I was fine. Concussions led to uh, issues I'm dealing with now. So ultimately the brain injury side of things is one of the reasons why I'm really passionate about coaching is to make sure someone like Tommy or even some 13 year old kid I coach are given in a dangerous sport, given the best opportunity to limit uh, that potential risk. Absolutely. I mean, so as to speak on helmets, like I'm a huge proponent of it. Like I'm not riding with somebody if they don't have a helmet on. Um, we have the Facebook group, uh, dude wears my NAR, all things MTB. Like one of the rules is don't post anything without a helmet with, with somebody riding without a helmet. We see them come through and we delete them like gone. It's we're not like not promoting it. It's, it's a simple thing. Right. And yep. it's important. And I'm not going to sit here and be a hypocrite. There's definitely photos of me cruising around the neighborhood on my bike with my wife without a helmet on. So I'm not perfect. Uh, but yes, if you're ever actually really riding, and even when I'm cruising around with my wife, I really shouldn't be dumb. That's what it, that's all it is. Um, yeah, I agree. Wear helmets. Uh, and in a lot of times with anytime we're doing enduro coaching, uh, especially if the kids under 18 knee pads are required to, um, obviously it's not as important as your brain, but, uh, I've done a lot of damage to my kneecaps that could have been avoided by just wearing knee pads regularly. <laughs> so yeah. basically if you're going to be dumb, you gotta be smart. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I'll actually speak to that. Cause we were, um, right after that little drop, you, you made me do right. We took that corner and then we hit like that it was kind of over the rock and then into the off camber section. And yep. you explain like the A, B and C line. And like your line is usually you just jump the whole thing. Right. Yeah. So yeah. into the off camber section. And I was like, Holy shit, that's crazy. Like I, and, and you literally said to me, you were like, I would normally do it, but I don't have my knee pads on today. And I, I like, I'm not going to do it. Cause I don't want to like, you never know. And right. I was like, Oh, that's, that's awesome yeah and a lot of the reasons why if i'm coaching i won't wear them necessarily just because standing around all day sweating in them it's not the most fun thing especially in the heat of the summer um but yeah there's exactly if i'm not wearing all of the protective gear I, I generally try to err in the side of caution yep so when i switched to clipless i did a couple timbers right like dead stop just fall right over one of them was like into some rocks and I got stuck. But after, after that one, I was like, literally I'm clipped into my bike and I'm going to smash my knee on a rock and it's going to be, you know, I'm done. Right. My knee's going to just explode. So I actually, I started wearing knee pads after that. And, you know, I have been since it doesn't really bother me all that much. I got some nice ones and it's, it's, I don't know. I feel safer in them. Put it like that. Right. Yeah, for sure. And, and knee pads have gotten so good at this point there. There's usually a knee bat, a knee pad that's going to accommodate a certain knee and obviously a certain type of riding. You have the trail knee pads, the drill with a less protection and then the beefier ones. Uh, personally, I like a knee pad with a really long sleeve. So I, I always ride in a, a bib, a padded short. And I, those knee pads I have will come up, uh, more than halfway up my quad so that they're anchored under the bib itself. Um, I have a, a knee issue on my left knee. So I have to have a specific knee pad that doesn't like move my kneecap at all when I'm pedaling where I have some flare up issues and it hurts. So finding that knee pad, once you find it, 
you really don't know they're on there. Uh, it's just, yeah, like I said, standing around just sweating in them all day. It's like, it's, it's kind of not awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I'm also a huge advocate for pads. I mean, I even go as far as wearing pants. Yeah. doesn't matter if it's 90 degrees out. It's, you know, a puncture versus maybe a bruise the way I see it. Um, and then it, just like the whole pad situation in general, it's kind of equivalent to like, you know, ice hockey. Do you want a puck flying at you? you know, at 90 miles per hour and just smacking you with no pads or anything. And, you know, do you want to be riding down the trail and get bucked and you don't have, I always hit my elbows and my knees before I had pads. So, you know, I knew it was something I wanted to invest in. And literally as soon as I invested in them, like I, I get more bruising than anything now. So honestly, pads, helmets, everything like that. It it's, it's not day and night, but it definitely helps you out. Yeah. And it gives I, you comfort. It for sure. And one of the requirements with the development program as well is that if you're racing, you have to race in a full face. Um, and a lot of that is like if that crash I had a couple of weeks ago, if I didn't have a full face on, I don't know if we'd be able to even talk right now because I hit my face so hard. But <clears throat> if you're going that fast, you really should have that extra uh, protection. And then highly recommended is some sort of chest armor for a racing setting. Um, and the way I make it kind of funny with the kids is I call it the nipple effect. So when you have your, your Jersey, just your Jersey on, you feel the wind going over your chest, but all of a sudden you put that pad on your chest, it takes away that stimulant of the air hitting you. So you feel like you're going slower. So when you go faster, it's not scary. And they all look at me like I'm crazy. And then they'll go ride and they'll be like, dude, nipple effects real. So they're usually looking at me like I'm saying some crazy stuff, and then yeah, they'll they'll go experience I gotta, it I gotta test theory. Yeah, same. Yeah, and uh, especially at bike parks, if you're really flying down like a super technical rocky trail, and you just put that extra pad on, just that little bit less sensation on your body, it, it just feels like you're going slower. The nipple effect. Uh, I mean, that's, that's what I call it. I wouldn't necessarily say that to everybody, but that's oh, what I call it. oh, it's gonna be said <laughs> from this day that's forward. <laughs> Yeah, I, it's just funny. If you can get a little laugh out of the kids, they generally remember what you said. Nice. Yeah, they'll remember that for sure. Right. Me too. 12 year old boy, nipple effect. Oh, yeah. Said <laughs> <laughs> <Good> nipple. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Well, Will, honestly, thank you for taking the time. Come on, chat with us. Um, looking forward to seeing you again soon. Uh, I'll, I'll, reach out we'll do another lesson maybe you can teach me how to manual we'll get you there for sure <laughs> yeah I was, tell- I was actually so i'll we won't end it yet so i was telling these guys right <laughs> when when i was like willem said he'll be on the you know on the podcast um we were like chatting about it and i literally dumped like every like every one of your instagrams like everything i like gave them all the links and they were probably like, wow, you're like a creep. Look at all this stuff. <laughs> so they could do some research on you. Right. And um, yeah. So I was telling him, I'm like, yeah, he's like really, really, really good. And um, when we were riding, when we, when we were leaving and coming down the road, I was like, dude, he just did like a manual for like three football fields. And then like went up the side of the road off a jump that somebody built. And I, I was like, oh, that's so cool. But, 
yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I enjoy, you know, riding with you and seeing you ride and aspire to be at least half as good as you one day. Well, thank you. I enjoy riding with you as well. And I have a lot of respect for everything you've been trying to do within the, the local community, your involvement with NEMBA, all that stuff. That's not an easy task to do. Uh, I, I don't have the patience for some of the things you have to deal with. And uh, anybody that's trying to progress cycling anywhere in the country, but especially in New England, and is like-minded and progressive towards the new style of rider I'm happy to have within the industry. Thanks, buddy. All right, so this is Tyler's gonna take us out here, right? And um, we'll definitely give you a chance to plug everything you're doing. So feel free, sure. drop instas, like all that. So Tyler will, um, and he's gonna drop that mic at the end too. I <laughs> I, I asked him maybe we would specifically just drop that thing. Yeah, I, I suppose <laughs> it's on. There's carpet down here, so it'll be fine. Um. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, if you if you have anything that you want to plug, like Tommy said, go right ahead. Same with anyone else, everyone else too. We try to get whatever anyone's uh, you know currently working on, or um, you know any anywhere we can find you to, to find um, you know your content and things. Go right ahead. Yeah, so you can find more information about my coaching and training at CycleCraftFitness.com. Uh, you can find all the information you'd want about Dirt Lab and our bikes at dirtlab-usa.com. Uh, my personal Instagram is at Willem Cooper. Um, at Cyclecraft Fitness is the company's account. And then I believe the development programs at CCF Devo, D-E-V-O. There might be a dash in there, but I got to look. Um, and then uh, dirtlab.usa for the bike thing so that's quite a lot uh, but moreover if you want to check out some good content on uh, cornering drills on youtube mtb travel review my buddy christian jimmy christensen jr has a youtube channel where we did an awesome cornering video and then there's some sort of vlog style videos of some trips i did with richie and jimmy this past winter uh, we went down to North Carolina and shot some video while we were there. So those are fun to check out. Um, it might give you some inspiration to go check out some new trails. So, uh, yeah, I guess check the link in the description or something like that. Yeah, I'll put everything. Yeah, yeah we'll, 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 we'll post all those. And uh, shout out to MTV Travel Review. Huge shout out to Jimmy because that's actually where I first saw you doing the cornering drills. And then it was it was that travel that trip that two-part uh series he did there that i watched that and i was like oh this guy's a coach so i and and they dropped psychocraft fitness in there and i googled it and i'm like oh shit they're like in he's in rhode island so i was <laughs> like i reached out and the rest is and now we're sitting here talking so um yeah it, if you're not from rhode island and you're looking for a coach in your area uh, please reach out to me, shoot me an email. I, I have a pretty extensive network of people that I would recommend all throughout the U.S. Uh, I also go down south for uh, some time in the winter. So if I'm down in North Carolina, all the way down to Florida for some family time, I could potentially meet people down there. But if you have any questions about coaching, shoot me a direct message, shoot me an email, just reach out to me and I'll be more than happy to give you info. Awesome. Perfect. Sweet.
It's a wrap. Willem, thank you, dude. Yeah, yeah thanks yeah, for thank having you so me. so much, Willem. Thank you.